welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Take it away. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to preach. So I'm taking Matt's spot on the staff, Matt Joyner. Um, I'm pastor of Life Groups and Member Care. My main goal tonight is to go a little bit longer than Matt usually does, <laughs> just so you guys can uh, talk trash to him about that. No, not really. Um, I ha- yeah, we've been in Rockford two and a half months. So a couple things about me that's good to know. I've been married 19 years uh, to Laura. And we have four kiddos, so Timothy's 14, Alex 13, Luke is 8, and Hallie is 5. Uh, Hallie's already in charge of the house, uh, and gals, you know what I'm talking about. Um, she has dad wrapped around her little finger for sure. And my family has been out of town a couple weeks, so thankfully many people have been having me over for meals, which has been great. Um, and I, I was raised in a Christian home, so grew up in Missouri, uh, southwest Missouri. So Midwest, like Rockford, only it's like way colder here. Um, and grew up oldest of six, Christian home, I was homeschooled, more of a rule follower than a rule breaker, so as you hear me, hear me preach, just kind of tuck that away, um, so for me, the reminder to rest in Jesus is always particularly powerful, um, that Jesus is enough for us, uh, and over the course of my life, I have worked a bunch of different jobs, so I started out working for my dad, uh, a home business in our basement, and then progressed to serving banquets during college, uh, which was super fun. Uh, It was this five-star hotel and resort convention center, and the banquet servers always hoped that the kitchen uh, over-ordered or over-produced the food, because if so, we got to eat. So I've had some of the best steaks in the world in backroom banquet halls uh, at the Chateau on the Lake in Branson, Missouri. Um, And then when I progressed to seminary, I worked for Chick-fil-A, which was my pleasure. I uh, was an order filler for a small publishing company, and then I was managing editor for Southern Seminary's communications office uh, with a weekly newspaper, which was super fun. Um, But my main job, other than pastoral ministry, has been working for Starbucks. So I worked for Starbucks for eight years, from 2010 to 2018, and the last four and a half as a store manager. Uh, And it was a massive store in Denver. We had about, on staff, about 35 baristas, uh, so we had up to 12 people working at once, uh, five shift supervisors, and so guys, I met a lot of people, and I met a lot of people in particular in their 20s. Uh, That was my main workforce for sure. Uh, Some in college, some had been in college, didn't finish, some were not in college, had no dream of ever going to college, and it was a lively bunch, Uh, lively, fun-loving, And if I asked them how things were going, you're likely to hear, oh, you know, man, living the dream. Just living the dream, which meant living for the moment, uh, partying, spending their income uh, as fast as it came in or faster, and uh, generally living without much, if any, regard for the future whatsoever. Uh, That was demonstrated always around their birthdays. I learned to not schedule people the day after their birthday. Some of you already know why. It's not because it was to honor them. It's because they were invariably going to be so hungover from getting drunk the day before that they were not going to be any good to us or any customers. 
So we just got that out of the way. I did not schedule people after their birthdays. Um, and in spite of stuff like that, it was, a, again, a fun, loving bunch. But underneath kind of this appearance of satisfaction, there was a whole lot else going on. Uh, and sometimes it was sadness expressed in a lot of sighs. You see the, the down moments and just, uh, just kind of the downcast face. Sometimes it was exasperation. And not just frustration at customers, but you could tell something more was going on that was uh, leading to agitation, significant frustration, sometimes disappointment, honestly, really tending towards depression. And you could just see written on their face in the, again, the slow moments, in the down moments, that there was a resignation that life was just always going to be hard and they were never going to be able to have satisfaction. That's something they shared in common was always searching for something something that would actually satisfy and wondering if there was more to life than living the dream that often just felt a lot more like a nightmare. So as we begin tonight, just want to ask, what are you longing for? What are you longing for? What do you desire? Uh, what are you living for? And what, what is your heart set on it? And does, if you're honest, does satisfaction feel attainable? Or is it just something that's like, dude, yeah, right, too elusive. Thanks for being here. Um, just kind of checking out now. No, what, think about that. Is satisfaction for you actually attainable? And if so, what would that life consist of? I want to invite you to turn to John 7. And uh, I'll, I'll invite you to stand as I read the word. So we do this uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, similar to when the law was introduced in uh, Ezra, uh, around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, the Gospel of John is one of, the, one of Jesus' contemporaries. It was written by someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus. So it's one of the four accounts in the Bible that is an eyewitness testimony of Jesus. And we're in John chapter 7. It's about this far into your Bible. If you can't find it, uh, you can look on the person next to you. Uh, so I'll start reading in verse uh, 25 to help set the context. Uh, John writes, inspired by the Lord, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, so shifting from dialogue to proclamation, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees, so the religious superstars of the day, heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. And you will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, basically, what is he talking about? Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, no, no, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So the officers, who were supposed to arrest him, then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said, guys, one job, one job, what is going on? Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. All right, you guys can be seated and uh, join me in prayer. Uh, God, we come to you and uh, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, this is a rich text. Uh, it is a life-giving text. It's a text that is... Uh, sufficient for our training in righteousness along with the rest of your word. So God, give us attentive hearts and minds. Help us to have a couple things stick and ears to hear, spirit move uh, as only you can move. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So as we're thinking about satisfaction and how we can have it, a couple reminders about this context in chapter 7. Uh, this, it referenced a feast in the last day of the feast. And this feast that was going on is the Feast of Tabernacles. So it was this feast in Jerusalem that occurred that they did to celebrate the harvest, uh, to celebrate ingathering of the harvest. Uh, God has been kind to, to produce food. And then they're petitioning the Lord for provision for that next harvest year to come. Um, so thanking him for what they have, petitioning for more to come. People would come uh, from rural areas and set up booths to live in. So it was also called the Feast of Booths. And it was this joyous celebration in Jerusalem. So as this feast is going on from chapter 7, there's several characters uh, in this story. One is Jesus' brothers back at the start of chapter 7 were kind of goading him to be like, Jesus, they didn't believe in him. Uh, they were against their brother. If you have siblings, you understand what that's about. Uh, unfortunately for them, it was Jesus and not just any old brother. Um, so they're kind of goading him to be like, hey, dude, just go to the feast, preach, prove yourself. They don't believe in him. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not uh, doing life on your timetable. Uh, I have someone else giving me instructions and direction, uh, namely God the Father. Uh, and so Jesus does not go then, but later he goes up to this feast. Uh, and he goes up, not publicly, but privately. And then halfway through the feast, he gets up and begins teaching again on God's timetable, not his brother's. And he's teaching in the temple courts. Uh, and so other characters in the story, there's the crowd. So there's a massive crowd of people. Would have been educated, uneducated, people who knew the law, didn't know the law. It's this massive crowd of people. And then there's a subset in there called the inhabitants of Jerusalem, verse 25. They know a little bit more what's going on behind the scenes. They kind of know that Jesus is, um, not everyone's super pumped about him. They know that the religious leaders have talked about possibly trying to arrest him. But they're like, man, he's, he's still here speaking, and they're not arresting him. Should there be something else going on here? Should we pay attention to this man? Many from the crowd then, verse 31, uh, are believing in Jesus. It says, many of the people believed in him, and they said, when the Christ, or 
the Messiah sent by God appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So some in the crowd are believing. Uh, and that's as we move in then to our text starting in verse 32. And guys, our big idea tonight is we must, must seek satisfaction in Jesus alone. Satisfaction can be found. We must seek satisfaction in Jesus alone. The desire for us to be satisfied is not a bad desire. In fact, it's God-given. Uh, we're all worshipers, you may have heard. We all center our lives on something, uh, have something that our lives are orbiting around or are centered on. And we live in a world where everyone, literally everyone, is seeking satisfaction in some way. But no one is able to truly find it unless it is found in Jesus alone. So that's where we're headed uh, and our passage this evening will have three kind of three movements in that overall frame of seeking satisfaction in Jesus alone. So first, Jesus is sent by the giver of satisfaction. That's going to be verses 32 to 36. So we'll, we'll dig into the text here. Jesus is sent by the giver of satisfaction. So the Pharisees are here. They're hearing the crowd mutter and murmur, and they realize more people are believing in Jesus in spite of their best efforts to prevent that. And so they determine they're going to send the officers to arrest Jesus. These officers were not, uh, not a part of the Roman Empire. They weren't Roman soldiers. They were the temple guard. Uh, so kind of like campus police, not like actual policemen, if you get that picture. Uh, and they maintained order in the temple under the jurisdiction of the Jewish council. So they went out on behalf of the Pharisees. So they sent them out to arrest Jesus. In verse 33, when it says, Jesus then said, it means therefore, so he knew that the Pharisees sent officers out. He's not concerned at all. He says, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. And you will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And he's talking about his ascension back up to the Father. Uh, so the Bible's clear that Jesus is God, came down from the right hand of God. He is man as well, fully God, fully man. And Jesus is telling uh, this crowd, I'm going to go back up to the one who sent me. Uh, the Jews continue to not have much of a clue at all of what's going on. Uh, and don't get ahead of yourselves. I, I think we would have been more like the Jews when, than we think. They're like, what's he talking about? Is he going to go, uh, verse 35, is he going to go out to the dispersion? Is he going to go out, out of Jerusalem and speak to the, the surrounding people, these Greeks? What does he mean? We're not going to be able to find him. Think he's a, I don't think he's a particularly crafty individual who can go hide. Or what, I mean, what is he talking about? And of course, Jesus is talking about something far greater. He's talking about ascending back up into heaven to the one who sent him. You guys notice in verses 33 and 34 that God the Father sent Jesus. That's what Jesus means. He's made that clear previously in chapter 6 that when he speaks of being sent, it is sent by God the Father. And this father is one who scripture over and over and over again identifies as the one who gives satisfaction. All through scripture, God the father is the one who gives satisfaction. A couple psalms that just very explicitly say that. Uh, psalm 4-7. David says, you put more joy in my heart, the center of my being, than they have when their grain and wine abound. People who were far from God, not seeking God or following him, doing their own thing, seeming to have an abundance and did have an abundance of some things, but not joy to the depth of their soul, not joy in their heart. God gives that. God gives that kind of joy. Psalm 1611, David writing again, 
you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And John Piper says, well, it's not 75% joy and 25% kind of frustration, sorrow, disappointment. No, 100% joy. Not even 99 and 1. Full joy with the Father. That's the kind of Father that Jesus went to that he had dwelled with for all eternity. That he came down to us to reveal this Father. Because there's an everlasting joy in God's presence. This is not a satisfaction that fades at the end of an evening again. Uh, it's not a satisfaction that goes away with the weekend as you step into another Monday. It's a satisfaction that goes on and on and on and on. And Jesus came from the Father to share that satisfaction and joy with us. Jesus came to call us into that. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made known among us that God sent his only son into the world. So that we might kind of get by through him. No, live through him. Even that we might live through him. Uh, John 3, 16, God loved the world in this way. He sent Jesus that whoever believes in him might not perish but receive eternal life. And eternal life is to know God, to enjoy God. The path of life that Psalm 1611 talks about is a path of relationship with God through Jesus. Um, God is the giver of satisfaction. And guys, he wants us to have that. And yet, all through human history, we have twisted that, we have turned that, or we've tried to grasp that and hold it for ourselves and turn this satisfaction to something that is ultimate to us, to our destruction and our ruin. That's why it's not quite as simple as it seems to just pursue satisfaction, right? Um, Eve, when she did that, outside of God's will, uh, Adam right there with her, uh, failing to lead as he should have, they were separated from God. And they experienced the consequence of seeking satisfaction in something and someone other than God. Jesus, in contrast, has experienced for all eternity the joy of living with God. And he says, come on, I want you to meet this giver of satisfaction. Because point two, Jesus is the source of satisfaction. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source, guys. The, the center of this text, or we're, we're going in now, verses 37 to 39. So it's the last day of the feast, the great day. And that would have meant, they've been, they've, for seven days, they've walked through this water ritual where the priests go to the pool of Siloam. And they take a golden pitcher and uh, dip water into it. And then it's just this deal. They're going through the streets. People are yelling and shouting, uh, praising God. It's basically like John and Betsy worshiping. Um, <laughs> just going for it, right? Going for it. And then they dump the water on the altar. And it runs down into the streets. And they do this seven days. And on the seventh day, they dump seven pitchers of water on the altar. And so water is streaming down, uh, coming down out of the temple through the streets. The great day, Jesus stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. They would have been celebrating God's provision all year, looking ahead and asking for his provision for the next year. And Jesus just steps in and says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John helps us understand in verse 39 when he says this was about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet 
glorified. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is saying, if you're looking for satisfaction, come to me. Uh, If anyone is sad, let me meet you where you're at in your sadness and come to me and receive healing for your sadness, healing for your grief. If anyone is frustrated, agitated, uh, just angry, maybe for whatever, whatever wrong and true hurt has gone on in their lives or just at life itself, Jesus says, lay it down, come to me and drink. I will give peace. He is powerful enough and strong enough to offer that. And that extends as well to people who are discouraged, to you as you would be defeated, uh, depressed, just facing a reality that you do not look forward to. As Jesus wants to meet you in that place and call you into relationship with the Father. And he's kind to meet us in that place. Uh, the ask is not to get it together, to get it, our acts together and figure it out. The ask is to receive what Jesus gives, to come to him and to receive. That is what Jesus offers. He is the source of satisfaction. Some of you in this room or just you would know others uh, near you that tonight you may be here and you're curious about Jesus. You're like, I'm, I'm curious about Jesus. I know someone here who is all about this Jesus guy and I'm here just to learn a little bit. I'm so glad that you're here and just want to share that you can have everlasting satisfaction right now where you sit. Uh, there's a holy God who made us, made all of us. And we have a responsibility to respond to him uh, with worship, with our lives. And we instead, all of us together, level playing field, have chosen our own way. Gone our own way. Scripture talks about uh, sheep wandering off the path and just going doing whatever they want. And the bad news is we, we should pay a penalty for that sin. And the penalty is death. It's severe. Because God truly is holy, truly is the creator. It's a severe penalty. And the incredibly good news is he's laid it on his son. He's laid it on Jesus, and so Jesus is the one who can say, come to me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, because Jesus is headed to a cross where he'll die the death we deserve. He'll rise from the dead, defeat sin and death and anxiety and frustration and disappointment and discouragement and all the things that we seek satisfaction in that we're ashamed of. Jesus dies for all of that and rises from the dead, conquers that so that if we turn from that life of focus on ourselves and turn to the glory of focusing on God, we can have life, we can live. Uh, So I would invite you to do that right now. Just acknowledge your sin before a holy God. Now tell someone that you did that. Don't be afraid or ashamed. Uh, Even if it's you're given the appearance of following Christ, just guys come into the light. Uh, It's good in the light. Maybe you're here and you're, you know, you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, What is being said here? What scripture is coming out of scripture resounds with you but it's a struggle right (laughs) life following jesus can be a struggle Uh, in fact if anyone tells you it's not i would go to a different church let's just (laughs) leave it at that okay it's not real no matter how big the smile uh how, how how fancy the clothes it's not real life is real life has struggle and guys jesus wants to give us satisfaction in the struggle So maybe you've been trying to battle sinful desire. You're fighting hard against it, praise God. But the way you're trying to battle that desire is just to bury it. It's like if I can just push it down far enough, it's not going to crop back up in my life. I'm just trying to bury it. Just, God, take away desire altogether. Just take it away. I want to no longer desire because it just leads to bad things. And you guys know how that goes. It never works because God does not call us to bury desire but to shift it 
to be new in Christ and to reform desire, reshape desires, to live fully alive with full desires centered on God. It's not a burying of sinful desire. It's a putting to death to take the riches of what we have in Christ. And that's what Jesus wants to offer to, to us. For those who believe, who have believed for years maybe, Jesus says, if you thirst, come to me and drink repeatedly. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep drinking. The Christian life is not a life of buried desire. It's a life of redirected desire. Instead of centering on self and ending in self, it centers on God. And we seek to do his will for his glory. As Jesus offers that kind of life, remember he has put more joy in our hearts than they have when their grain and their wine abound. So Jesus came to give living water. And these verses teach that that living water is the Holy Spirit in this case. So who is this Holy Spirit? What are we talking about? We'll get to that in a minute. But verses 38 and 39, uh, water here absolutely equals Holy Spirit. Uh, it does in other texts in scripture as well. John, again, is incredibly clear to explain that to us. Jesus is the source of this gift of the Spirit that would be given. So verse 39, the Spirit had not yet been given. People believed in Jesus. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that's a reference to what Jesus spoke of earlier, that he was going to ascend back into heaven with his Father. And when he ascended, he would send out the Spirit. And that happened in Acts, uh, in Pentecost, where the Spirit comes on the believers. And, and guys, they, their lives just come alive. The word comes alive in ways they had never known before. They understand and see. Uh, and the confusion is dropping away in ways they never saw before through the Spirit. Jesus alone can send the Spirit and give the Spirit. And he does for all who believe in him. And the Spirit is uh, spoken of as living water. Which all through scripture has incredibly glorious things. Including connecting to a river in the end times that brings life wherever it goes. Uh, Ezekiel 47 the river of life in Revelation. Jesus came to give life and he gives it through the Spirit. Because you may be wondering what, okay, sounds great. Satisfaction in Jesus, I'm all in, but how do we do it? <laughs> how do we do it? I know it's not burying desire, but how do we do it? So third point, Jesus provides the Spirit who leads us in this life of satisfaction. Leads us to new life in Christ and then leads us forward until Jesus comes back. Jesus says, I will be with you through the Spirit. Jesus actually said in John 16, it's good that he goes so that the Spirit would come. But something awesome is happening through the Spirit. We'll walk through the rest of this passage, um, see the rest of the narrative, and then we will just zero in a little bit on how we walk in the Spirit and do life in the Spirit. So remember, the crowd is here, verse 40. Uh, the crowd has heard Jesus' words, this proclamation at the end of this feast. They were like, man, the Feast of Tabernacles used to be incredible. Now it is just off the chain. What is going on here? And when they heard these words, some of the people said, man, this must be the prophet that's going to announce Jesus. Others said, this is Jesus. But some said, ah, it can't be. He, he came from Galilee. The scriptures say he's going to come from Bethlehem. And so there was a division among the people over him. John just does what he does here. He doesn't try to explain that Jesus, of course, is from both Bethlehem and Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem then grew up in Galilee. John is not worried about explaining all that. His point is to capture the continued confusion among the people. They're not yet clear on who Jesus is. And then we're back to the officers. Remember the campus police with the chief priests and Pharisees who are not happy with their campus police. They say, where is Jesus? <laughs> I gave you guys one job. You didn't do it. What in the world is going on? And they're like, I think he's the real deal. And they're like, what? 
not you guys too, this crowd, sure. Verse 48, this crowd doesn't even know the law. They're accursed. We know the law. Listen to us. Think maybe they're going to send him back out uh, to go, get, go, go get Jesus again. Nicodemus, though, one of them, who later, later on uh, at the end of John, it seems like probably becomes a believer. He's already gone to Jesus in John 3. To just, what are you about? What, what is this? He's able to give them pause by saying, hey, does our law ju- judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they, they're like, dude, whatever. You're from Galilee. Are you from Galilee too? But they don't send uh, the officers back out. And that's where this text leaves off. Um, so back in verse 39, the living water, the Holy Spirit, what is going on here? What's Jesus talking about? You guys, it is the Spirit who helps us live in satisfaction in Jesus until he comes back. First, the Spirit does this by helping us desire what God desires and love what he loves. Praise God, we don't have to bury desire. In fact, we can experience it in full the way we're meant to through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 6, 21, where where your treasure is, what you love, there your heart will be also. So God understands that we are worshipers, and he calls us into the worship of him, uh, the worship of someone better. The Spirit empowers that, and then Galatians 5, 16, walk, so progress in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Kill the flesh, kill sin, we put it to death, we walk forward in the Spirit. So second, first, the Spirit helps us desire what God desires, second, the Spirit leads us to abide and obey. The Spirit leads us forward to abide and obey. What does that mean? It means we live in a relationship with God and we do His will. Live in a relationship and we obey. We serve Him. Uh, guys, God is not out to make it confusing for how to follow Him. It's actually remarkably simple. It talks about having the faith of a child. Uh, you can think of children having a natural curiosity, a natural bent to learn and to lean in. Uh, to lean, I want to learn. I want to lean in. Ask questions. 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 No more questions. Watch a movie. Time for a movie. <laughs> We're done with questions. Um, God calls us to lean in and to abide in relationship. That's an active word. We're actively walking in relationship with the Lord. We're doing his will. And it's the spirit who helps us do that. Uh, the spirit gives us new hearts. We're new creations. Uh, new life that is alive in God and enables us to live in that relationship. And just to capture a little bit of that, Michael Reeves, incredible book here called Delighting in the Trinity, has this to say about that life in the Spirit. Through the giving of the Spirit, God shares with us and catches us up into the life that is His. The Father has eternally known and loved His great Son, and through the Spirit, so Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, He opens our eyes that we too might know Him, and so He wins our hearts that we too might love Him. So God has this perfect fellowship, relationship uh, among himself and the Trinity, and God is inviting us to enjoy that through the Spirit. It's by the Spirit that the Father has eternally loved his Son, and so by sharing their Spirit with us, the Father and the Son share with us their own life, love, and fellowship. By the Spirit, I begin to love aright, unbending me from my self-love. He wins me to share the Father's pleasure in the Son and the Son's in the Father. And by the Spirit, I, slowly, begin to love as God loves with his own generous, overflowing, self-giving love for others. Because that is the work that the Spirit uh, wants to do and is doing in the life of everyone who follows Jesus. The Spirit, his will for us is our sanctification, our holiness, our delighting in God more and more fully. That is being accomplished. 
Okay, so take heart. Um, fight that fight against sin for all that you have. In the, in the strength of the Lord, reliance on the Lord, fight it for all that you have to walk in newness of life and to be satisfied with what God gives. With what God gives, with what he would have us do. How do we abide and obey? It still feels nebulous, guys. Spiritual disciplines, this is where they come in. Uh, so spiritual discipline it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, disciplines that relate to our spiritual life. It's not just like actions kind of out there that are spiritual exercise. It is how we connect with God and do God's will. It's how we're satisfied in God. Reading the word. Do we read God's word consistently? Uh, absolutely. The spirit said he would come to remind us of Jesus' words, which are right here. The beauty of it will have this forever. It's not fading away. It's not going anywhere. Give yourself to it. Prayerfully talking to God every day in it because it flows into prayer. Do we pray? Uh, a life of satisfaction, does it involve prayer? Absolutely. It's an expression of relationship with God. Um, not as a means to get things from God or kind of like, I say this prayer in this way and then just say, but God, if it's your will, and then kind of step back and just leave it, then maybe God will do what I want. It's, it's not, we're praying to God, right? Uh, God can see our thoughts. He knows what's going on. We're relating to God and life flows out of that, guys. Uh, it flows into ministry. It flows into, oh, I wonder how that person is doing, and you text them. It flows into, oh, man, later today I need to remember to ask that person how they're doing. Oh, this, this text is talking about working hard in the mundane things. God, give me strength to clean toilets for your glory today. We pray. We're in the word. Do we consistently gather with other Christians to worship the Lord? Absolutely. Uh, you will not have the satisfaction God want, wants you to have apart from that. Uh, we gather with community week in and week out, every Sunday. It's great that you guys are here on Thursdays as well. It, it is awesome that you guys are here, okay? Awesome. There's so many churches that would long to have this room. Uh, so don't let it go to your head, but just glad you're here, okay? Um, and guys, we gather to, to encourage each other, to edify, to spur on, to laugh together. It's a beautiful thing to laugh, to give from the Lord. Do we consistently and faithfully love others by serving in the church? Absolutely. Galatians 5.13, use your freedom to serve. Uh, serve. Serve in kids, serve in hospitality, serve in life group, you name it. There are so many places to serve, as you guys know. Um, Mother Luke and Alex and others do a great job calling you guys into that. Keep at it. It is, again, such a ministry. And then do we share Jesus with others, this discipline of evangelism? As God wants to give us so much satisfaction in sharing Jesus with others. Many will reject, yes. Christ is the aroma of life unto life or death unto death. Guys, many, many will believe. Many will believe and join and follow. And it may take three times of sharing the gospel with them or five times or seven times or ten times of sharing the gospel and then continuing in relationship. And then sharing the gospel and then continuing in relationship. And it's not like, oh, they're going to shun me because I didn't believe. It's not. I love you. I love the heck out of you. I love you so much. I'm going to tell you about Jesus any chance that I get. The Lord calls us into that. That is the life of satisfaction. And in all these ways, guys, the Spirit leads us in a life of satisfaction. So as we close, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Um, guys, just take that into your groups here. Think about that. Um, God wants us to be satisfied in him. Uh, the Father is the giver of satisfaction. Jesus is the source of satisfaction. The Spirit leads us in that life. And came so that we can know the Father. These guys, in a personal way, 
personal way, a very near way. Let's pursue that life together, okay? Let's invite others to join us in that because that is truly the life of living the dream. Okay, let me pray for us and then we will go out from here. Uh, Jesus, thank you. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our lives. And um, your word is living and active, Lord. And God, I just pray particularly for tonight for, uh, God, just comfort. It is, life could be a beatdown, and it's not an easy life. And um, that beatdown can look different. It can be something we feel relationally. It can be something we feel just in the weeds and thorns and thistles of work. Um, it could be something we just feel getting frustrated with ourselves, quite honestly. God, help us to move beyond that. I pray that would fade, fade in the light of Jesus saying, come to me. All you're weary, I'll give you rest. Come to me, drink, eat. Thank you, Jesus, that you want us to be satisfied in you. And we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.